Good evening, gentlemen. So last week, we started a new series going through this book, Salvation Bible Basics. And I realized at least two of you weren't here last week. And Tim didn't get here till later. So we're going to do a little bit of a recap. And I have a handout. I got a couple of handouts. No, that's my notes. I got five there. So um, this book um, was written by Doug Hammett, which uh, that name might be familiar to a couple of you. Um, He's been in the ministry for almost 50 years as a church planner, pastor, and currently he is a missionary to Africa. Uh, he wrote this book and uh, these lessons about 20 years ago, maybe 25, I believe the first time I remember seeing um, a recording of his on this lesson was 1998, so do the proper math, that's 24 years ago. Um, and these lessons have been used to show people the basics of salvation from the Bible. Thus, where it gets its name, Salvation Bible Basics. Um, there are four lessons designed to be gone through in four weeks, one lesson per week. Uh, but for our purposes, we're going to be looking at these lessons, uh, each lesson over two weeks. So we're going uh, eight weeks in total. And I remember... Uh, my mom doing several of these studies with people that were met on door-to-door -door visitation. Um, I mean, I can think of at least three people right off the top of my head that she did these Bible studies with. Um, Janet, Adam Santos's mom. Um, there's, there was no, well, there were several other people that my mom has done this Bible study with, and several of them have gotten saved. Uh, Karen Fowler, she was also one that uh, um, my parents did the Bible study with, and she actually thought she was saved beforehand, but after doing this study with my parents, realized she was lost. Um, so my goal with presenting this study for us is just to give us another tool uh, for us to use um, with people that might have some interest in the Bible that um, you might not have time right then and there to give the whole Romans road or whatever. But this study is designed to be done, like I said, over four weeks, roughly about an hour per study, and just to go through the basics as... Um, We'll recap tonight of the first part of the lesson of lesson one, and then uh, over the subsequent weeks going through the next three lessons. It's a lot of it is a lot of basic things that us who've most of us grew up in church we've heard this stuff over and over again, but just being able to formulate it in a step by step outline. There are people out there who don't know these basic things, things we take for granted. Um, so 
just want it to be a tool for us to use um, for people who want to learn more about the Bible and point them to Christ and let the Holy Spirit do the work of convicting if they aren't saved. Um, like I mentioned, the lady Karen Fowler, who is still a faithful member out in Pennsylvania, my mom did this study with her. She thought she was saved. At the end of the study, she realized she wasn't. She got saved, got baptized, and now is a faithful member. Um, one thing I've noticed with this study, though, the approach we're going to take here in teaching this as I go through this and present this, I'm going to mainly be reading directly from this book. But if you're going to be doing this study with someone, you're not going to be sitting there reading this verbatim um, because it might, it, it, it's not going to work with someone like that. What I found is you really have to adapt these lessons to your own teaching style, per se. You have the outline here, the outline I handed, or John handed out. Uh, we have, we'll have outlines like that for every lesson. But, I mean, the truth of the Bible is always the same. But the way presenting it, it'll, it'll be different for everyone. Um, one thing I've really found with myself and teaching over the last couple years and the opportunities to preach at Close to Home, I do a whole lot better writing my whole message out the way I'm thinking it, the way the Lord has led me to present that. Because um, like beforehand when I'm preparing a message or preparing a lesson, I have all these, I have all the thoughts, the points I want to get across. But if I put it in an outline like this, and come up here and try to speak it, my, my words just get jumbled, my thoughts get jumbled, and it doesn't really work for me. It works, I mean, even most of the stuff I'm reading to you verbatim, but I, this is my words that I wrote out, because this is the way I found works best for me. Um, so with these lessons, you really have to adapt it to the way your teaching style, and the way, probably the way you learn um, that's the way you can teach it. But, um, so, you might be able to take just this outline and uh, teach the lesson all the way through, or you might be like me, who has to go basically teach the lesson in your head and type it out or write it out beforehand. Uh, it really depends on, again, your teaching style, um, because I've... I've heard, I've heard my dad do this Bible study. He actually did it with me when I was younger. I've heard Doug Hammer preach through this study. I've heard his son, Pastor Rowan Hammer, preach through this study. And yes, it all is the same truth, but everyone has a different way of presenting it. So if this is something you would want to do as a study with someone who's lost or someone who wants to know more about the Bible, you just really have to study it and come up with your own way of presenting it. Um, if you want, I have uh, links to videos or recordings of Pastor Roland Hammett he, uh, preaching through this a couple years ago. Um, and he preaches it like he would be doing it. I mean, he preached on a Sunday morning. So he preached it like a, to, to a Sunday morning crowd. 
Um, but it would have been the way he would have taught it to someone personally. The w again, the way we're looking at it tonight is more of the teacher perspective and me just presenting that, uh, how the author uh, of this book put it together. But either way, if you want to listen to those messages, I can give you that information. If you want one of these books, I can get you one of these. Um, but there's, and the Bible's truth is the same. And this, I found this has a great, just step-by-step step, taking you from how God sees people, bringing them all the way to Christ, and then at the end of lesson four, as we'll see in a couple weeks, I'll draw my, my life, basically. It's a timeline. This is when I was born. This is when I graduated high school. This is when I got married. This is the date I got saved. And somewhere, hopefully in the distant future, is the day of my death. But this lesson is really designed to bring someone to that point of realizing, do you have a time and place where you've accepted Christ? That's the goal of this, this study. So um, tonight, uh, we're going to look at point three on that list. We looked through point one and two last week, but I'll just recap that here quickly. Um, so the first point is trying to bring someone to the point of realizing, okay, one day you will stand before God. Um, starts out with the verse in 1 Samuel 16 when Samuel is in, uh, going to anoint the next uh, king of Israel, he didn't realize it was David, because uh, of course he goes through Eliab and all his brothers until uh, David is finally brought, and the point of not God doesn't see as man seeth, but God looks on the heart. And that's the, one of the foundational principles of this study, it's God sees the heart. And then that every man will answer to God, and that's found in Romans 14, 12. And then the progression starts here with God will judge according to truth, which is found in Romans 2.2. 2. Then God defines truth as the Bible, John 17.17. 17, thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So that's the first point, bringing that down to God defining truth as the Bible. And then to the second point, truth is the Bible. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible was inspired, breathed by God. And then 2 Peter 1.21, came by the will of God, not the inventions of men. And you will find throughout this whole study, there's things that we've learned from the apologetics course, um, from, truth, from the Bible. I mean, 66 books, 40 authors, 1,600 years, and it's all cohesive book. Um, in a couple lessons, we'll be looking at resurrection and proofs of Christ. So there's, there's a lot of things in this study looking at the apologetics side. And then there's going to be verses from Romans, and so things like the Romans Road. Um, and, uh, well, the resurrection, we looked at that a couple years ago. So this is a little bit of a review, even, of some of the things we've looked at over the last couple of years. Um, and then uh, the last point there under truth is the Bible. 
Second uh, Peter one nineteen. Uh, we have a more, also a more sure word of prophecy. Nothing is as sure as what God has said. So that's the first two points of lesson one. Uh, we looked at that a little bit more closely last week, and the recording of that is up on the website. But tonight, um, we're going to look at the last part of this lesson, which deals mainly with the Ten Commandments and how they are the standard by which God judges. So I'm going to get into uh, reading um, this part of that lesson, uh, and we're going to look at each of the Ten Commandments and then um, how that is reiterated in the New Testament as well. So I'll just start reading here. All right. So far we have seen that one day we will stand before God and be judged according to truth, which is found in his word. So then we ask the question, what are the things that God is concerned about? Turn to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to see God's law. And um, again, the big thing with this study, it is a salvation Bible basics. A lot of verses, there's a lot of scripture, um, and... If you ever do this study with someone, you'll want if they don't have a Bible, you'll want to provide them a Bible, and then you'll want them to turn to these verses. Just they can see what the Bible says uh, right there in black and white. Um, the Bible teaches that God is holy because of His holiness. God has given us in the Old Testament what is called His law. There are six hundred and thirteen laws in all. The Old Testament law is divided into three categories. First, there was the civil, civil law that governed the society of the nation of Israel. The second category was the ceremonial laws regulating the sacrifices and offerings. Then there were the moral laws which talked about how man should live. God's law has never been repealed. Jesus even said in the New Testament in Matthew 5.17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The law is still in effect. It has never been done away with. The law is what God will use to judge your life and my life by. One day, men and women will stand before God, and if they do not have a personal relationship with God, that law will judge them. God has broken down those 613 laws into 10 specific ones that are very important. And those are the ones we're going to look at. These are called the Ten Commandments and are found in Exodus chapter 20. As we look through them, we are going to take a test and see how well we have kept God's law. How do we rate? What is God's opinion? How we are doing? Um, do, Tim, do we have the uh, good person test tracks? Okay. So what we're going to be looking at here is actually the foundation of that good person test type track. I don't think I, I don't think Doug Hammond actually wrote that, but um, it's been adapted like. Uh, what we're going to be looking through here of the next of the Ten Commandments is very similar to what's in that good person test track. So look in Exodus 20, verse 3, the first of the Ten Commandments. God says, thou shalt, not have, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does God mean by no other gods? He means that no one else and nothing else is to take the place of God in your life. In other words, God demands first place in your life and mine. And as a side here, he gives several examples in this book, but 
that's one of those things you can personalize for yourself, maybe some personal examples. So um, here, here's the example he uses. If you are married, do you think your spouse would accept you having another boyfriend or another girlfriend on the side? No, not normally anyway. There's something wrong with them if they would accept that. And you'd be very jealous if you found out your spouse had some other love. God or some, had some other love. God, as your creator, demands to have first place in your life. God says he demands all of our affection. He wants no other gods in our, in our life taking that place. So that example he used there is for someone who's married. Well, if it's someone who's single, that example wouldn't work as well. So you've got to know the person a little bit and adapt some uh, examples for them. Now let me ask you this. On the basis of that, as you look back through your life from the day you were a child all the way up to today, can you say you have always loved God with every fiber of your being? Have you loved God with every part of your life, with all of your heart? Can you really say that? I can't. I can't. I don't believe there is a person alive who can say I have always loved God and wanted him more than I wanted anything or anyone else. People generally fill their life with chasing after things or chasing after others. They're trying to find fulfillment in people and things that God never said we should chase and things that never will satisfy. Therefore, they have put other things before God in their life and have broken God's first commandment. As we consider this first commandment, we are all guilty. Second commandment, notice uh, second commandment in verse number four. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or, is the, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. God says we are not to worship idols. Most people would say they don't have any idols or statues in their house that they bow down to and worship, and I'm glad that they don't. But God isn't just talking about idols you and I have made with our hands. According to Romans 1, 21-25, he is also talking about the imagination of our heart with which we make the gods we want. Um, and again, here's an example, like you can adapt it to that person or something more modern. Um, uh, is your job your idol? Is uh, your car, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so again, just realizing the person and having examples for that. Um, I'm going to skip over some of these things, um, but... Just the point is going through each of these commandments and applying that to that person's heart. Um, notice in verse 7, a third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. A lot of people understand that commandment to mean that you aren't allowed to curse. You can't take God's name or Jesus' name and then link it with the word damn or some other expletive and curse. They are right, for this commandment certainly forbids cursing, I would hope you have never cursed, but if you have, do you know how God views that? You have broken his law. And if you're doing this study with someone who might be religious, who would be like, yeah, I've never used God's name in vain. Well, I mean, have you ever, again, this might be more applicable for someone who's religious, who grew up in church, who should know these things, but singing. We, God's name is in the songs. If you're not really thinking about it and worshiping God with that, I mean, you're taking God's name lightly. You're taking God's name in vain. So some different uh, examples there. Um, 
Because, but let's look a little closer. He says not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The word vain means empty. This commandment is not just talking about blaspheming or taking God's name and cursing. It also is talking about taking God's name lightly. Um, it's interesting here. Uh, the Jews were very careful about this. When a scribe got ready to write God's name, they had to wash their hands and then write with a special quill, and then they would go wash their hands again. They were careful about God's name because it was important to them. We use God's name so lightly today. We joke about it. We have comedies on television about him. We make light of him. The Bible says we are guilty because we have broken his law. We have taken his name in vain. That is only the third commandment. How are you doing on the test? How are things checking out in your life? We're not doing too well, are we? When we stand before God, these are the things God is going to examine us with. God is going to check out these areas, and we are going to be judged because we have broken God's law. And then the next one, fourth commandment, found in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, under Jewish law, the Sabbath day was on a Saturday, but the purpose of the Sabbath was not a day of rest, uh, a day to kick back, take it easy, drink lemonade, and and enjoy yourself, the Sabbath day was meant to be a holy day, a day in which they set aside the normal labors they would be involved in so they could pursue the labor of praising God, uh, the labor of praising God, worshiping God. That was the purpose of the Sabbath. We now worship in church on Sunday because Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday, but we find in the New Testament in Romans 14, 5 through 8, that as a child of God, whether we set one day aside for God or whether we choose to honor God on every day, God wants our life to be committed to him totally. All of our time belongs to him. Hebrews 10, 12, uh, 10, 25 tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together in church. Yet many people count Sunday as their only day to rest. They consider it their day to go to the lake or fishing or any, uh, any number of activities besides worshiping God. And you say you have faithfully sought God at least one day a week all of your life? Do you give God time every day in devotions? Does your time belong to God, or do you use it the way you want? Now remember, we are just trying on the law. These are the things that we will give an account for one day. How are you doing so far? If you are honest, you probably aren't doing too well. And then uh, the fifth commandment, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The word honor means to respect, to lift up. It means more than just obey. Your parents say, empty the trash, and you go, empty the trash. Well, you've obeyed, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have honored your parents in that action. To honor them would be to empty the trash before you are told. To honor them means you will pick up the trash and take it outside and do it with a sweet spirit. It means you won't be cantankerous about it, you won't mutter under your breath, and you won't have any hard feelings in your heart. Have you ever muttered against your parents? Have you always honored them from the day you were born until this day? Have you always honored your parent, your father and mother as they ought to have been honored according to God's word? There's not a person alive that can answer yes to those questions. God's law says we are to always honor our parents in everything we do, but we have dishonored our parents, so we have broken God's law. We are guilty. One thing I, w I thought about on this, we are told to always honor our parents. We're not always told to obey our parents, because it says children obey your parents, but we are always supposed to honor our parents. Um, 
And yeah, there's, there's a line in there. Um, but the bottom line is we're told to honor our parents. Number six is, uh, sixth commandment is in verse 13, thou shalt not kill. Now there is a powerful one. Most people would claim that they have never murdered anyone, so they're okay on this one. Um, and uh, just as an aside, one time I was on door-to-door -door visitation, and I started to do the good person test with someone, and I brought this commandment up, and the guy's like, yeah, I've killed somebody. But... He was in the military, so like uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, um, but I mean, got to think about that. And if you're doing something with someone who's a police officer, I mean, unfortunately, one of Tim's coworkers had to kill someone a couple days ago because uh, she was shooting a gun at people and making it a disturbance, and of course officers under um, review and all that um, but there are people in the military who've had to kill people because um, they're in the military uh, and doing their job there and um, so that was the experience I had it was someone in the military Pastor Rowan when he was teaching this he's like he, he's actually done Bible studies with people who've murdered people and I mean like I mean that I'll take you back a little bit. And he's like, wait, I'm doing this Bible study alone with you right now. So, I mean, go think about it. But those are things you got to be prepared for when you're doing this because there are people out there who will admit that. Um, but then, of course, Jesus reinterpreted, uh, interprets this commandment and gives us a new perspective on it. In Matthew 5, 21 through 22, he says, if you are angry with your brother, you have committed murder. That changes the picture a bit. Have you ever been angry with someone? Have you ever driven down the road and had someone pull out in front of you and cut you off when they should have not uh, should not have done it? That yeah, I was driving home yesterday and there was someone to my right who he had some road rage. He was honking his horn and zooming up on someone I'm like, okay, I'm staying far away from him. <laughs> uh, but um, of course, Jesus says. When you hate someone like that, it's murder in your heart. So, have you ever had someone do you wrong and you got angry in your heart towards them? They could have done it to someone else and it wouldn't have bothered you as nearly as much. It just proves there is selfish nature inside you and God says you are a murderer. Um, we'll skip down a couple here. Uh, of course, then, uh, Seventh Commandment and verse 14, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Some of you would have to raise your hand and say, I'm guilty, I've been unfaithful to my spouse. Others of you might breathe a sigh of relief and think you're okay here since you have only ever been with your spouse. But, of course, Jesus in Matthew 5.27 said that if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. Um, now tell me you've never looked upon someone of the opposite sex and never had wrong thoughts. If you, any age at, uh, if you are of any age at all, you are guilty. Jesus says you're an adulterer. That is a pretty serious charge. Jesus is pointing out that all sin starts in our heart. The thought of lust eventually leads to the act of adultery. But it started that way back there with the thought. That is where it became sin. Let's stop and see where we are again on our test. How many of God's commandments have you broken? We don't have to...
Well, in these very long, I would hope, before you begin to see that you're going to be in trouble when you stand before God. Eighth commandment in verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Again, um, you might not think of yourself as a thief, but um, again, doesn't put a monetary value on it. Ever taken something that's not yours? Uh, the one that always gets me is, have you always worked uh, a full day for your employer? Have you ever done something personally or when you should have been working? You're stealing time from your boss. So different ideas there with that one. Uh, ninth commandment in verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Bearing false witness means lying. Have you ever told a lie? We're all guilty there. Every person who's ever lived has told a lie at least one time in their life. We have all broken this commandment. Um, you can get into a little white lie, etc. If you ever told an untruth, something that's not true, you have broken that commandment. And again, the whole point of going through these Ten Commandments <coughs> is to show people that they're guilty before God. And then the last one, Tenth Commandment, of verse 16, Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. To covet means to desire strongly. Have you ever desired something that God has not provided for you? And of course, um, this verse is written in the context of that time and culture, um, but I mean, covet thy neighbor's house, neighbor's wife, or his lawnmower, or his whatever, uh, Corvettes, or who knows, but you can, this is one of those, you can make a modern example and give that as an example. Um, in Colossians 3, 5, the Bible says covetousness is the same as idolatry, which is breaking the second commandment again. Covetousness also breaks the first commandment because what you were saying, I want this car more than I want God. I want this money more than I want God. I'll do, I do anything to get that job. I want that job so much, I'll give church up for it. You're also breaking the fourth commandment because you're not giving God the time he deserves. Friend, you are in trouble. Um, so, in summary, as we look through all ten of these commandments and think about them, we see what we really are. And this, to get someone to admit this, to actually say it out loud, I mean, it hurts, saying, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, and an adulterer at heart. I mean, this is serious business. Where do we stand? We are guilty before God, condemned because we are guilty of breaking his law. And then, of course, Jesus even narrows this down even more. Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Um, and again, this is an opportunity to have them turn in their Bible, see these verses. Jesus sums up the law in two verses. He said that the law is fulfilled in these two things. We shall love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and body. With every fiber of our being, we shall love our neighbor as ourself. That sums up the Ten Commandments. If you love God with all your being, you will put him first in first place. You will honor him with your time, and you will not take his name in vain. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not commit murder. You will honor your parents. You will not commit adultery or steal or lie or covet what your neighbor has. 
The problem is that we don't love God like we should, and therefore we don't love our neighbor as we should. We have broken God's law. Um, and you can even bring this down even further. Um, look at James 2.10, which says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. That means if you could perfectly keep all the law except one little point, you would still be guilty of it all. Even if you break just one commandment, you are guilty of it. You must keep the whole law perfectly to meet God's standard of righteousness. So, as we look through the Ten Commandments, the goal here, again, is to bring someone to the point of realizing they're guilty um, before God. Um, so, so far, all we've talked about has been bad news, but the good news is that it is, it is possible to be right with God. And again, we don't want to just leave someone with all this bad news and be like, I'm hopeless. We need to uh, be like, but there is an answer. And of course, the, next, the answer is in the study of the next week, but it gives the person some time to think, to review some of these verses and just really think about what they've done. Um, in fact, the Bible says that when God looks at the world, he sees two kinds of people. There are those who have no relationship to him. They've been judged by the law and found guilty. That is where the vast majority of the human race falls. But there are some that enjoy the tremendous blessing of having a relationship with God. They are related to him. God has found a way of dealing with their sin so that when they stand in judgment before him, their sin will be taken care of. The answer is found in Jesus Christ, and we'll continue, we will look, start looking at that in the answer next week. Um, but uh, next week we're going to be looking at um, a comparison of the, what the Bible says of those who have no relationship or those who do have a relationship with God. Comparing lost to saved, unrighteous to righteous, unforgiven, forgiven, enemies of God, reconciled, condemned, justified under wrath, accepted, eternity in hell, eternity in heaven. Those are the, um, some of the comparisons of those who are lost and those who are saved. And again, there's verses and all um, things behind that, uh, but we're going to look at that next week. Um, so that's uh, lesson number one, and that's where we'll stop tonight.